0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear seminarians, dear brothers, and dear faithful, when we consider the apostles at the time of our Lord's public life, we find them completely engrossed in their new life of accompanying our Lord. The the Gospels paint such vivid pictures of so many scenes during this public life of our Lord. Our Lord uh, raising someone from the dead. Our Lord uh, casting out a legion of devils that that then go into a herd of swine. Our Lord healing a blind man or standing up in a boat to issue commands to the sea and to the wind. And we have to consider that at every single one of these events, the apostles were there. They They were eyewitnesses of these extraordinary things. Or think about the time when, um, the time many times when our Lord would be teaching and there would be these immense crowds, 4,000 people, 5,000 people, uh, our Lord facing the people, speaking to them of the kingdom of God with his instructive stories, uh, the people hanging on his words. These were incredible scenes, incomparable scenes. How much would we ourselves give to to be able to be present at just one of these scenes. Or perhaps just to have the privilege to spend one day, not three years, but just even one day to be able to to be there with our Lord uh, from the start of the day to the end of the day to experience one day of his public life, just to see what it was like to be with him, to listen to him, to witness his miracles. What an incredible experience That would be. But this is the life that the apostles had day in and day out with with our Lord. And to all appearances, at least to their appearances, it seemed like this life, this style of life that they were now living, would continue indefinitely into the future. Our Lord was just a young man, he was only in his 30s. And they could reasonably expect that he would live at least into his 60s, or to his 70s, perhaps even to his 80s. And if that were the case, then they would surely be with him for another 30 or 40 years. 30 or 40 more years of walking the paths of Galilee and Judea, uh, living this life of nomadic preaching, living the life of accompanying the Messiahs born on earth. And this prospect of spending all this time with our Lord Jesus Christ was so beautiful to the apostles. We may say it was the dream of the apostles. They wanted it so much. They wanted so much for everything to just continue as normal into the indefinite future. And they believed very strongly in their dream. We know this because our Lord was constantly trying to shake them out of this dream, time to reveal to them that that this was not, in fact, his plan. But despite all of his efforts, it seems like the apostles had no suspicion that the full extent of our Lord's public life was only going to be three years. Not 30 years, but three years. It's at the time of the transfiguration that we see an, an image of this attitude of the apostles. They were overwhelmed with the glory of our Lord. They liked being up there on that mountain, and they wanted to stay there. And so St. Peter uh, tries to make some plans to, to make more permanent uh, this, this residence on the mountain. He asks if he should set up three tents and so, so they could stay there indefinitely and enjoy the presence of the glory of our Lord. This is kind of what it was like during the public life of our Lord, that the apostles were kind of lapping up the glory of our Lord, the glory of being someone who could accompany the Messiah in all of his extraordinary activity. But we know that everything was not to stay as normal, that our Lord had no plan for this sort of life to go on for decades. And in fact, the transfiguration marked a time when there was very little time left of that public life. Our Lord would soon be gone, and then what? And then the apostles would have to live the rest of their lives without the visible presence of our Lord. They would have to continue preaching the gospel of the Messiah, without the presence of the Messiah. This was the law that our Lord had set down for his life, that his public life would only last for three years and then he would die. And in place of his physical presence, there would be his sacramental presence. There would be his presence in the blessed sacrament. In place of his vocal teaching, there would be the teaching of the church In place of his miracles, there would be the miracles of his followers. But there would not be his visible presence. In other words, the time of his public life was only meant to start something. It was meant to be the beginning of a new order. It was not meant to be that order itself. Our Lord came on earth to redeem mankind, to establish the church, to establish the priesthood, to create a structure wherein all men of goodwill could find their way to heaven. But remaining on this earth and continuing to to walk amongst us was not part of that structure. It was not part of our Lord's plan for the salvation of mankind. It's obvious when we look at this plan, that our Lord was not meant to stay here with his visible presence. That was not what he wanted. And the whole point of this sermon is to ask the question, why? Why didn't he stay on this earth with his visible presence? Why wouldn't that be something better for our salvation? For Imagine if, if he was still here on this earth. You would obviously be thousands of years old right now, but perhaps still in, 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 in a youthful vigor. And instead of having the victor, vicar of Christ, you would have Christ. And uh, whenever there was, was any dispute or what have you, you could just go to him and he would settle those disputes. Why didn't our Lord stay to sustain his apostles, to guide the newly born church, to assist in the conversion of? of the nations when he could have done that. The reason we have to say is that it would have been the wrong way to help sinful humans save their souls. It would have been an obstacle to the whole purpose for which he came on this earth, the salvation of souls. Our Lord wants our salvation, but our salvation, my salvation, your salvation, is about our transformation. We've got to make big changes. But we would not make those changes if our Lord were present amongst us. Our salvation is not about getting a ticket to, to go to heaven. Our salvation is about us changing from being selfish, prideful, impatient, pleasure-loving human beings to being selfless, sacrificial, virtuous, God-loving human beings. That's the real point of what we are meant to be doing in this life. That's what's supposed to take place. So when you come here on Sundays, it's not to assure yourself that you will be saved. It's so that you may come and receive the graces necessary to change your life in such a way that you can expect to be saved, that you can expect to attain holiness. And this transformation takes a great effort. It is a daily dying to self. It takes a multiplication of acts of faith. It takes perseverance in times of desolation. It takes the steady performance of our daily duties of state. And chances are, we would not do these things if our Lord were visibly present amongst us. Consider the apostles. They made so little progress during the public life of our Lord, so little that it absolutely astonishes us. How could you live with our Lord day in, day out, for three years and be so clueless about his plan, about his spirit And yet that that was the case. When the apostles were with our Lord, they kept all of their false ideas. They remained naturalistic in their thinking. They were looking still for some sort of triumph in this life. Our Lord was frequently rebuking them for lacking faith, for misunderstanding him, and for getting into petty quarrels. For instance, even at the Last Supper itself, the, the apostles are arguing about which one is better than the other. Imagine sitting down and saying, I'm better than you. No, no, you're not. I'm better. No. And having this sort of argument at the Last Supper, this is what the apostles are engaging in on their very last night with our Lord. So to wake them up, our Lord had to die on the cross. In other words, he had to leave them. It was only then that they started questioning their own view of things. It was only then that they started to reflect carefully on his words and all that he had said to them in order to try to penetrate more deeply than the superficial level, their superficial understanding. And what I'm saying is, that I, is I, I would anticipate that the same th- sort of thing would happen to us if our Lord was visibly present on this earth. In his presence, we would too easily become attached to the glory of being around him and not have any attachment to real progress in virtue. We would love him more for his miracles than for himself. And our Lord has to be very careful with us when he's working with us as fallen human beings, that he works with us in such a way that he leads us to purify our intentions. This is why our Lord tells the apostles today that it's necessary that he go. He says, sadness has filled your heart because of what I've told you, that I must go. It's not my purpose to make you sad, but it is necessary that I go for your benefit. It's just like a master who uh, is instructing his students there's a certain period of time when there's a classroom work and the master gives all of his knowledge and so on. But at some point, he's got to let the students go on and work on their own. And if he does not do that, if he does everything for his students, then quite simply, the students will not be able to function. They will not be able to become masters like unto their master. There's something curious about human beings, about human nature. It's like we need difficulty. If there are not difficulties in our life, we are miserable as people and we make no progress. Anybody who has studied human nature uh, throughout, throughout the history of the world, including the pagans, have understood this. The, the the Romans used to have the, the, the saying "per aspera ad astra." It's through difficulties that you reach the stars. Um, the same is true in a family. If if the parents with their children, if if they do absolutely everything for their for their children, they do all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the changing the nappies. Everything is done. Uh, for the children, and in such a way that the, the, the parents are like the, the servants of the children. But the children never do anything themselves. The children never learn how to clean, they, they, they never learn how to cook, they never learn how to do anything on their own. The children will be absolutely selfish, they will be spoiled, they will be very unhappy. They will not be uh, sort of gaining in perfection. Progressing as a human being when they grow up in such a home. And so it is with us in the spiritual life. It's so necessary for us to have certain difficulties in our spiritual life. It's so necessary for our Lord to leave some distance between His activity and our activity that He gives us some room in order for us to strive and to struggle in order to attain the goal that he has set for us. On the one hand, he gives us all the strengths that we need in order to make progress. On the other hand, he does not do everything himself. He makes us do things. He wants us to perform acts that are, in, in philosophical terms are connatural to us. They belong to us. And that is why in the end, There are three stages that all of us have to go through in this life to attain our goal. The first step is the joyful mysteries. The second step is the sorrowful mysteries. And the third step is the glorious mysteries. There's no way for us to jump to the third step without going through the first and the second. There's no way for us to jump to our Lord's glorious mysteries and say, Let me just bask in your glory without me having to go through that other step that you went through, the crucifixion. If our Lord stayed with us in his public life, we would only have the joyful mysteries. If he stayed with us in his risen life, we would only have the glorious mysteries. Either way, we would miss out on that that difficult and so necessary middle step where through difficulties we attain our perfection. So in order that we can live all three sets of the mysteries, our Lord leaves us to ascend into heaven. He is better able to help us save our souls by his Eucharistic presence than by his visible presence. He uses the example in his public life when when the uh, scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Why don't you fast? Why did the disciples of Saint John the Baptist fast and you don't fast? He uses the image of a wedding feast he says you know if you're if you 're at a wedding and it's it's the banquet it's just after the wedding and and the, and the bridegroom is there and, and and the bride is there and you 're in the midst of the celebration you don 't say hey it 's time to fast stop stop the the, the celebration we're, we're going to uh, terminate all festivities and we 're going to have some fasting take place. You don't do that. So the presence of our Lord on this earth is like the time of a feast. And it's not the time to fast. Archbishop Fulton Sheen, he says, basically, there's, there's two spiritualities in this world. One is the spirituality of the world, and the other is the spirituality of the Catholic Church. The spirit, spirituality of the world is party first, then fast later. Feast, then fast. But the spirituality of our Lord and of Catholicism is fast, then feast. So we must not invert the order. We we, we are not meant in this life to have this party time, and then later on um, have to to go through the sorrowful mysteries. That that's uh, that's one way of visualizing the the. Spirituality of the world: have a good time in this life and then go to hell for all the eternity, or have a good time tonight and then suffer the consequences tomorrow morning. (laughs) That's that's the spirituality of the world, but the spirituality of our Lord is that we must suffer the difficulties now and reach our perfection, and then we will have our eternal feast. What does this mean for all of us? Well, firstly. I think it's important. I just want to reemphasize this point that our salvation is about our transformation. Our salvation is not firstly about basking in the glory of our Lord and having him do everything for us. We must not expect the spiritual life and striving for holiness to be an easy thing. It requires our purification. It requires our self-denial. It requires a lifelong effort of striving to become better, of slowly but surely improving under the influence of grace. Secondly, it is important that we try not to find some shortcut to sanctification. We try not to cut corners, that we not give in to this illusion perhaps that might beset us that, no, there is an easy way out in this life. I know there's got to be an easy way, and, and I will find it. If I find the right, the magic prayer, you know, the, the right formula, somehow that will transform me without any effort of my own, um, then all will be easy. If we put aside this illusion that somehow the spiritual life is meant to be easy, then we are not disappointed when we find life difficult. In fact we're quite willing for life to be difficult. We're quite willing for there to be struggles in the spiritual life. We're quite willing to have some sorrowful mysteries in our life because we realize that these are, in fact, the most effective means for our own salvation. Consider that even our Lord's own mother, even Our Lady, was asked to lead this kind of life. Even with Our Lady, it was not the will of Our Lord for her to spend her whole life with His visible presence. That she did not leave this earth at the same time that He left this earth. But He asked her after the ascension to live on for another decade, another two decades. We don't know exactly how long it was, but surely it it was at least one or two decades when Our Lady was being asked to Our Lord to advance in sanctity through a life lived in faith, hope, and charity. And if this is the life that He asked of His own mother, we must not ask a different life for ourselves. We must want to live that same sort of life, a life that makes us perform acts of self-denial, acts of sacrifice and generosity. In the end, Our Lord gives us more then is necessary even for our own progress he provides us in the tabernacle his own eucharistic presence let this be enough for us he feeds us with his own body so that we might have the strength to suffer our own purification and improvement let us take this divine medicine let us take this daily bread and believe that it does have all the strength that we need in order to make progress in this life if we use its strength to accomplish our sanctification, then surely one day will come when we will see the visible presence of our Lord. We will be given this great gift, which hopefully we we do desire with all our hearts, this gift to see the visible presence of our Lord, not only to see it, but to be assured that we will never, ever lose that visible presence for all eternity.